This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us again this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and minds to understand and wills to do that which you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered why Jesus needed to be baptized? Surely the one and only person who has ever lived who did not need to be baptized would be Jesus. After all, isn't one of the central points of baptism, one of the wonderful parts of the imagery of baptism, is being made clean from sin, which Jesus didn't need. Well, if you've ever thought that, you're in good company, because clearly that's what John the Baptist was scratching his head about also. Indeed, John was so taken aback when Jesus asked to be baptized by him that he, he tried to deter him. Verse 14, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And during Advent, those weeks leading up to Christmas, we heard from John, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when um, John was asked by the crowds if he were the promised one, the Christ, his reply was a huge and emphatic, no, that's not me. That's the one who's to come after me. I baptize with water, but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I'm unworthy to tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And yet in our gospel passage this morning, we encounter John with Jesus. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one of whom he had preached and talked about was standing right there asking John to baptize him. So why? Why did Jesus come to John for baptism? Well, Jesus answers that question and addresses John's reluctance in verse 15. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this. Here's why. To fulfill all righteousness. Now that is a key phrase. And I want us to unpack that and take a closer look at it this morning. First, the word fulfill. And that can mean several things. It might mean to bring to consummation, to carry out a prophecy or promise, to perform a task, to bring something to completion, to obey a command. So that's fulfilled. Second, righteousness. And the words righteous or righteousness are found a lot more than 500 times in the Bible. And in close to half of those occurrences, the words Righteous or righteousness are talking about right living, doing God's will, living faithfully. But righteousness is also a way of speaking of a rightness, a righteousness, a goodness that comes from God. A righteousness that is about his love, his justice, and his saving work. 
And I think it will help us to understand our short passage this morning if we think of righteousness both in the sense of being right with God and as doing what is right. And this fulfilling all righteousness is a way of speaking about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so for Jesus, fulfilling all righteousness was about trusting and doing. Trusting his heavenly Father and doing the work which he had been sent to do. And he was able to do this because of his relationship that he had with his heavenly Father. Many, many years before, the prophet Isaiah had foretold of he who was to come. As we heard in the first verse of our reading from Isaiah this morning, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And who is he describing? Well, we can read it today and know it's Jesus, the servant king, the one who came not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus fulfills, there's that word again, he fulfills the word of the prophets. And Jesus was the one who brought God's righteousness to all people. But it's interesting that the emphasis first is not on what his servant would do, but rather on God's love for him. Here is my servant in whom my soul delights. And we see exactly the same thing happening at the River Jordan, at the moment when Jesus comes for baptism. First are words of God's delight. The heavens are opened. He sees the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus gets to hear the words of his Father delighting in him, affirming him, commissioning him, and reassuring him he is not alone in what he's been sent to do. Wow, if Jesus needed to hear that, words of blessing, words of affirmation, words of love, how much more do we? Parents, your children need to know your love for them. They need to hear and experience your well done, your love and your encouragement. And I know that you know that. But the truth is, we all need that. We all need to hear and know and receive these words from our Heavenly Father. And yet, sadly, many people either don't or cannot hear such words from their earthly fathers or mothers. Perhaps their parents have died. Or perhaps in their brokenness, sinfulness, or absence, your parents never spoke such words of grace and love and kindness to you. But whatever your experience with your own parents, I believe that God, our Heavenly Father, wants you to hear his words to you this morning. Only twice in the four Gospels does God the Father speak directly to the world from heaven. Here, at Jesus' baptism, 
and then later at his transfiguration. But each time, God the Father says the same thing. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. If there were one word to sum up the central point of this scene, and actually to sum up the message, God's message to the world, it would be the word beloved. If we would hear that word, receive that word, live our lives in the light of that word, I believe the word beloved could transform our lives as individuals and our common life together. So if you only remember one word from today's sermon, remember the word beloved. Would you say it with me? Beloved. I want to hear you. Okay. And though God the Father said, this is my son, my beloved, uniquely in time through God the Holy Spirit to God the Son, God still says the same words to us today. You are my beloved. We know that verse from John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's why he sent Jesus, because he loves you and he loves me. And tragically, these are words that can too often be hard for us to hear. Today, there are so many other words from other voices saying very different things. Things like, you are worthless. You are a disappointment. You are a failure. You're a nobody. You'll never measure up. Such words can make us strive harder to prove to ourselves or to others that we're better than those assessments, to show that we're, more, we're worth more than that. And so we struggle and we work and we strive. Theologian, uh, the late Henri Nouwen rightly observes, over the years I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our lives is not success, popularity or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity and power can indeed present a great temptation. But their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of a much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, he says, is self-rejection, end quote. And there's another problem we face perhaps more so today than ever before, and it's this. We live in a society, in a context that is increasingly skeptical, skeptical about whether there is even such a thing as truth, and if there is, whether it can reliably be known. So if I stand here and say, you are beloved by God, how do you know that's true? Is it merely wishful thinking on my part or yours? Or is it something <clears throat> upon which you can depend? Bizarre in a way that I even have to say this, but there is such a thing as truth. We are not living in a post-truth world. Truth, like gravity, is unavoidable. Truth matters. How would you want to have a post-truth pilot? Imagine you're flying over Colorado, and the instruments clearly say you're flying at, uh, at 10,000 feet. 
and you're heading straight towards one of those 14,000 footers. Truth matters. Or suppose you want a marriage that is based on truth. You don't merely want a marriage certificate. You want to know that when your spouse says, I love you, that he or she actually does love you. And in the same way, when we come to talk about the truth of God and his son who came to fulfill all righteousness and a God who says to us, you are beloved, it matters that this is true. And in a world in which people are hungry for meaning, hungry for love, desperately looking for solutions to the struggles with which they live, the truth about God in Jesus is the very embodiment of meaning and of relationship. God doesn't merely say, you're beloved. He demonstrates it by sending his treasure, his very own beloved son. He sent Jesus. And so this morning, I want you to hear and receive this truth about yourself. And I know that some of you have heard this since you were the age of the little ones. I did. I heard it from a very young age. But has that truth made that very long journey from your head to your heart? You are beloved by God. Here's some additional wisdom from Henri Nouwen. We are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before the parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved us or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the truth I want you to claim for yourself. That's the truth spoken by the verse that says, you are my beloved, end quote. And we see this truth spoken again and again through the pages of Scripture. Just listen to some of the things that God says through his prophets and through the apostles. God says, I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. God says, I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you <clears throat> in the shadow of my embrace. God says, I look at you with infinite tenderness. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'll be right back. Left my water. <clears throat> All right, God says, I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more intimate than that of a mother nursing her child at her breast. These are all words from God that you can read in the Bible. I have counted the hairs on your head. I keep watch. I give you food that satisfies and drink that quenches your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. Nothing in all creation, can separate you from my love. All the kindness heard in the Father's voice for his Son, Jesus, is also conveyed to us in our baptism, for baptism is the sign of our adoption into God's family. What a wonderful and extraordinary thing it is that we can be called children of God that we can have favor with God even as Jesus himself enjoys favor as his unique son. And so it is that in our baptisms, we hear echoes of these words of God, you are my daughter, 
You are my son. I love you. I delight in you. I am pleased with you. I will be with you. I love baptisms. Uh, I, I enjoy baptizing youth and adult believers where we see the powerful and public declarations of faith by those being baptized. But I am also delighted that we baptize infants of believing parents and godparents. For in this we see so powerfully demonstrated the absolute scandal of the gospel of God. Our Father God bestows gifts on us before we can remotely or adequately respond to those gifts. And so in a few moments, as at Vivian and Nolan's baptisms, we will claim God's promises over them before they can do anything for him. Few things in the church celebrate this unmerited grace quite as clearly as the sacrament of baptism. Our God gives himself and dies for the sins of the world before the world can do anything for itself or even come close to saving itself. Now, of course, repentance and faith are needed. That was what John and Jesus preached. And so in our baptismal liturgy today, the parents speak on behalf of their children, expressing that repentance and faith. And we look forward to the day when Vivian and Nolan grow up and will, we pray, publicly reaffirm these baptismal promises of repentance and faith for themselves in confirmation, a confirmation of their baptismal vows. But today, we delight in the Father's love and affirmation of these little ones. And we are invited to hear again the words of the Father who says, who delights in us and who says to each of us, you are my beloved. The baptism of Jesus is a very intimate moment in a very public setting. And in our service today, when Mother Lauren holds the baby at the font, there are typically, as there are today, hundreds of people watching. And yet at the same time, it's a holy and intimate moment. I think that's how the sacraments are meant to be. Holy Communion, likewise, is another intimate moment in a room full of people. As week by week, we're invited to receive afresh the gifts of God for the people of God. As we gather weekly, we preach repentance and faith. We declare God's love and grace, and we're invited to come and eat the bread and drink the wine, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to receive Jesus, to hear his words of life and truth, I love you. That's what God says to us. You are my beloved. The first and last point, the starting point and ending point is our belovedness before God. Once we know that we are beloved, then we can step out in faith to do the things God calls us to do and be the people he calls us to be. And so to return to our opening question, why was Jesus baptized? 
The answer is to fulfill all righteousness. And that fulfillment, that task that Christ came to do began with his obedience in the River Jordan and ended with his obedience to death on a cross so that we might be made righteous before God. So what about now and what about us? In what ways are we called to fulfill all righteousness? Clearly, we cannot fulfill God's righteousness in the way that Jesus did once and for all. And yet, there are countless ways in which we are still called by God to share with Christ in his continuing purposes in our lives, in his church, and in the world. As Christians, we are called to live righteous lives and to tell others of the righteousness that comes from God. For John, fulfilling all righteousness included baptizing Jesus. But what is it that we need to fulfill? What is it that you and I need to bring to fruition? What command does God ask you to obey? Is he asking you, perhaps, to turn some hurtful habit over to him? Is he asking you to talk with your neighbor or colleague or relative or friend about Jesus? Is he asking you to make a move towards mending a broken relationship? Is he asking you to take the initiative concerning some matter of injustice in our community? Whatever your answer, know this. The one who calls you to fulfill all righteousness is the one who first says to you, you are my beloved. Can you hear that? God is saying to you this morning, I love you. Amen.